Mark 1, 35 to 39. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Simon and his companions went to look for him. And when they found him, they exclaimed, Everyone is looking for you. Jesus replied, Let us go somewhere else, to the nearby villages, so I can preach there also. That is why I have come. So he traveled throughout Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. Great. So I just want to look at four things with us this morning. I'm not checking my text messages. I'm putting my timer on my phone so that I don't um, talk for 40 minutes. Okay, so I want to look at four things this morning. And so the first is that I want to look at how the solitary place is stepping back um, from the public place and the pressure that comes along with the public place. So right before this moment in Jesus's life, he's been serving in the town of Capernaum. Um, and so the past, the kind of the section that comes just before this, Mark 1, 32, 34, it says that evening after sunset, the people brought to Jesus all the sick and demon possessed the whole town gathered at the door. It wasn't really a quiet night for Jesus. Do you know? The whole town gathered at the door. Everybody brought the people who were sick. Jesus is casting out demons. He's healing the sick. That's what he's been doing for most of his night. And it's hard to imagine, isn't it? Because actually, like, when you think, you can't imagine the whole of Teledrone gathered outside one front door, or the whole of Bridge of Dawn gathered outside one front door, or the whole of um, Hilton gathered outside one front door. But the news of Jesus was spreading so fast that the crowds were flocking to him. They were drawn to him. And when the disciples eventually find Jesus, you know, they're out looking for him. And there's definitely a level where they're a little bit frantic. You know, they've just come off the back of this incredible witnessing of Jesus demonstrating his power and his authority as he's setting people free from diseases that have held them for years and years and years and years and years. He's speaking to evil spirits and he's saying to them, no more, you will have no more terror in this place. And then they wake up and they realize that he's not there because he's disappeared in the middle of the night. And I imagine it being a little bit like you know if you are just about to get up on stage as a band and your drummer's just disappeared and you're like, where's he Where's he Or someone, you know, you have this um, um, really important moment on stage and your main, your main player, your main actor has just disappeared. You know, it says um, in the passage, he just, he just got up and went. The disciples are anxious, they're worried where he's at. And they say when they find him, everyone, everyone is looking for you. And you can understand why they are. If they've just witnessed this person, this man, come and set people that they've known to be bound for years in illness, bound in sickness, terrorized by darkness, and he's setting them free just like that, done. You can understand why everyone is looking for him. But Jesus, even in that moment, he made time to take himself off to pray, time to be alone. And I think this thing of everyone is looking for you isn't just unique to Jesus because Jesus was human. And I think this whole thing of everyone is looking for you is something that we share, something that we experience in our own lives. And you're all looking at me like, no, no, not everyone is looking for me. What? It might not look like that. It might not look like the whole town is out looking for you. But all of us have things that are following us around, don't we? All of us have pressures and demands that have an expectation on our time. 
you know, we might not have the whole town looking for us, but we might have university um, demands. You know, we might have deadlines. We might have scoreboards. We might have expectations that are following us around. I imagine for some of us, it's different friendship groups that we're juggling. For some of us, it's relationships that we're managing, that we're looking to grow. For some of us, it's just our daily routines, getting up, getting out the house, getting in the car. Oh, no, I forgot the lunch back in the house, back out the house, into the car. What do you mean you've dropped a thing on the floor? Pick it up, get in the car. For two minutes, you focus, you think, I'm going to focus on Jesus right now, and then something else happens, and then your to-do list pops into your head, and then you start thinking about all the things that you didn't do last night that you were supposed to do, and then you're having to try and think, how am I going to manage that in the car? Does anyone else have that same experience? Or am I just by myself here? (laughs) Okay, so we all have pressures and demands that kind of follow us around, yeah? Um, before we know it, the day is over and we're brushing our teeth and we're getting back into bed and then we get up and the same thing is happening again where the pressures and the demands of the public place are kind of creeping over. The world that we live in, the world that we live in and the lives that we lead with our families, with our communities, demand our attention. But that doesn't mean that we should give it immediately in every situation. Because Jesus didn't live a life that was dictated to by the demands of the situations that he encountered. He responded to them, but he wasn't submitted to the demands of his situation. He was submitted to his father that he he depended on. You know, it wasn't bad that the people were looking for Jesus. The things that crop up in our lives that need our attention, they're not bad things. But it's just that we, um, Jesus knew that he couldn't meet their need until he'd spent time with his father. And it's the same for us. The things that need our attention in the public place can only come from that place of meeting personally with the father. So I just have this question for us this morning. Is what's leading our time right now? What's leading our time right now? Is it the pressures that we face? Is that what's leading our time or is it our time present with Jesus? It's so easy for the balance to shift, isn't it? It's so easy. I was thinking about this and I <laughs> thought about the analogy of a horse. Um, bear with me, just like go with me for a little minute. But like horses can be pretty wild, can be pretty uncontrolled, but in the right set of hands, you know, they, um, they move and they um, function in the most majestic manner. And I just think that there's something about that picture of just who's got the reins right now? Who's got the reins right now in our lives? Is it the pressures and the demands that we're facing? Is it everything that's happening on the outside? Or is it that personal time where we're meeting with God and we know that his presence and who he is has the reins of our lives? For Jesus, the solitary place meant stepping back from the public place and back from the pressures that he encountered there. When we only live in the public space, we begin, to lose his, we begin to lose awareness of his presence and his peace and his goodness with us. We can know, we can absolutely know his presence and his goodness with us in the public place. But we can't just be in the public place. We need to be aware of when those pressures are kind of taking the reins and step back into that place with Jesus to um, into our personal time with God. So the solitary place is about a stepping back from the public place and back from the pressures, but it's also about stepping into something. 
It's about stepping into the personal and into the private place with God. Um, Yeah, so stepping into the personal space with God. So we've got Jesus here. We've got him coming off the back of a long evening of ministering to many, many people in the very early hours of the morning. And we can assume that at least on some level, he was physically tired. He's been casting out demons and healing people for most of the evening. Um, And it says in the passage, very early in the morning, Jesus got up and went off to a solitary place. And when it says um, very early in the morning, some of us may have experienced this today if we have small children who woke up in the early hours of the morning. But when they say very early in the morning, they mean, um, what it means is like kind of that hour between like 3 and 6 a.m. Did anyone see that hour today? Some of, no, praise the Lord Jesus. All of the children slept, well, most of them. Um, but sometime between in the middle of the night, Jesus gets up and he goes to pray despite the busyness of his day. And in Jesus, we see that perfect model of what it is to live life um, fully human as a human being. You know, he was able to cause the blind to see, the deaf to hear, the lame to walk. He was able to tell the waves to be quiet and still. He was able to set people free from demons that had terrorized them for most of their lives. He acted with great power and authority. And actually, Scott, if you missed it, he spoke on this the passage just before this a couple of weeks ago. And he, in his preach, he talked about how us living lives like Jesus, that we have that same power. We have that same authority. We can speak to sickness and say, be gone. We can speak um, to evil and say no more. We have that same authority. <clears throat> but Jesus, fully God, fully human, also needed solitary time with the Father. So the power and authority is balanced with the personal and the private. And if Jesus needed personal, private time with God the Father, how much more do we? How much more do we? I wonder if I can get a show of hands. Um, How many of us here are last-minute charging people? Now, what I mean by that, let me just explain your phone comes up and it says 10% battery left. I'm looking at that and I'm thinking, I've got ages, 10%, that's loads. It gets to, you know, 5% and Scott's like, Sarah, charge your phone. And I'm like, that's 5%, I've got ages. And then it gets to 1% and I think, well, okay, I should probably, you know, think about charging it soon. You know, even at that point, I'm not racing for the charger. Are there any other last minute chargers in here? Okay, great. People that are cautious chargers are thinking, oh my God, so irresponsible. Terrible behavior with the food. Um, that, I would say, translates to all spheres. So for me, it comes to the car. Drive Scott mad because when a car gets to like, you know, five miles, I'm like, five miles? I'm five miles. Scott's like, stay down, it's fumes. It's like, stop running it on that. So yeah, I always run things down like to that point. Um, and a couple of weeks ago, I just we were having this moment um, in the Leadership Academy, and I felt like God reminded me of this moment for us this morning. Um, we had a visiting speaker who'd come in, and I'd, um, his slides had kind of gone all a bit squee-whiff, um, and so I was having to fix them on the computer. So I'd spent most of like the good part of like two hours kind of sorting out for him before he was coming to speak. And then you know I got my computer, my computer's there, and then it makes this noise at me where it's like ding, and whenever it makes that noise, I'm like oh no. Because I think the battery's going to die. 
And because obviously it has drained at me about five times, you know, I've kind of ignored it. So that final one, I'm always like, oh, should I be cautious? So I looked at the battery charge and I had like about 2% left in it. So I'm like, oh no, I've just done all this work. There's like two hours, it's just going to crash. Save, save. And then I'm running around trying to grab my um, charger, plug it in. The bag wasn't where I thought it was. I had to go and find it, grab the charger, breaking around, plugging it in. Please, Jesus, let it work. You know, and I was like plugging it in at the last moment. I mean, it was down to like 1%. And I was like, thank goodness. <laughs> where am I going with this? God doesn't want us to be running on empty. He doesn't want us to be getting down to that last percentage. He doesn't want us to have this one moment in church where we have this amazing encounter with him and then we last on that for a couple of weeks or a couple of months. He doesn't want that. He wants us to come in and be recharged, to be connected, to be filled up, to be restored in his presence every day. Every day. He wants you to feel full. He wants us to feel full. He doesn't want us to feel like we're just living on those last little dregs of the last time. Is anyone, anyone getting what I'm saying? Do you hear that? Do you feel that? God wants us to be filled up. Filled up. You know, our God is a God of relationship. He doesn't just want us to know of him. He wants us to really know him. He doesn't want us to know of him. He wants us to really know him. And you know, the real life doesn't begin just when we're doing all this stuff for God. It begins when we're being with God. That's what Jesus brought us into. That's what he bridged the divide for. We were cut off from him before. We were separated from, our, from him because of our sin. And he made a way where there was no way and we could come right back into his presence. That's what he did. Jesus was always with the Father always and he knew that he was with him in all he did and yet he still stepped back he still stepped out because he knew that nothing not the miracles not the amazing transformation of his disciples and um, not these moments of um, seeing them grow none of that could replace being alone with God All of these things are so important and part of our lives as Christians, but they cannot replace being alone with God. He needed that. So we know that we don't know in this passage what Jesus is praying for. It could be more miracles, it could be more power, it could be more energy. Um, But what we do know is that he needed to be alone with God. So just before we move on, I just want us to think about just a moment. In fact, I wanted to say something else before we do that. Yeah, this is important. We can't expect to learn to live the way that Jesus lived publicly if we don't learn to live the way that Jesus lived privately. We can't learn to live the way that Jesus lived publicly if we, unless we live to li- learn to live the way that Jesus lived privately. I am longing to see God move in power and um, in miraculous ways in the life of our church family here and in the life of the people who are out there who don't yet know him. I'm longing for it. I'm desperate for it. But it's not enough for me to just be focused on the outside. This is what God has been writing in my heart over the last few months. It's not enough that I'm just busy doing stuff. I have to be busy being as well with him. 
I was reminded of Matthew 6 when Jesus is speaking to the Pharisees and he says this, And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father. I heard one pastor, a guy called Rich Wilkerson, who's a pastor in Miami. Sorry for Sam. Um, No, I love this place. I wouldn't sub it for Miami. Hand on heart, I wouldn't sub it for Miami. Um, But he sums it up like this. He says, being around God can never substitute being alone with God. I love it. Being around God can never, ever, 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 times a thousand squared to infinity and beyond or whatever, can never substitute being alone with God. Because he wants to be with us. He wants to be with us. So just before we move on, I just want to throw out a question out there. You know, when was the last time we were alone with God? Like, alone. <laughs> just us and Jesus. Not because you thought you had to, because you were preparing for something. Um, not because you were aware that you hadn't maybe done it in a while, and you thought, oh, better do something. Jesus, I'm here. Great, bye. I mean, alone with God, where we knew that actually we set aside time, and he was there, and we were aware of his presence. When was the last time? And for some of us this morning, we might be thinking, oh, no. It was last month, or we might be thinking it was six months ago, or we might be thinking it was a year ago. How am I going to get back from there? Well, I felt, and I prayed about this past, about this morning and this preach, and I just felt like God reminded me of the prodigal son and the lost son. And you know, the son goes off and he does his own merry thing, and he's away off and he's spending his fortune. And then he realizes that he's been a complete idiot and he turns around and he comes back and I love the verse in Luke where it says the father saw him like he saw him from a long way off. And why did he see him? Because he's looking for him. He's like watching and then in that moment, this next bit I love, not only is he watching for him not only is he waiting for him to come back but he gets up and he runs to him. He like sprinting to him and so I just felt like for some of us this morning, you know, we maybe feel like we haven't been alone with God in a while and that feels painful and that feels hard but I just felt like God wanted to say he's waiting. He's waiting to meet with you. He's longing to meet with you. He loves to meet with you. So don't let the distance, don't let the time be something that gets in the way of us coming back into that place of alone with God because he wants to meet with us. Okay, let's check the time because I've gone off on a bit of a tangent. I don't normally go off on tangents, but I have. There we go. Okay, we're okay. So the solitary place is about stepping back from the public and the pressures that come from that. It's about stepping into the private and the personal with God. Um, The solitary place also reveals our purpose. Um, So the disciples find him. They find Jesus in this solitary place. And when they do find him, nobody quite gets what Jesus decides to do or just says next. So Simon, um, who then becomes known as Peter, says, everyone's looking for you. I can imagine him being like, everyone's looking for you. Don't you know that we've been looking for you all this time? And then Jesus tells him, let's go somewhere else. It's like, what? You know, everybody's looking for you, Jesus. And Jesus is like, let's go somewhere else to the nearby villages so that I can preach there also. That is why I have come. So everyone's looking for you. And Jesus says, that's great. We're going to leave 
We're going off the Galilee now. We're going in a different direction. <clears throat> you know, the people are longing for him to stay. And the disciples are expecting him to stay. But Jesus knows that he can't. And why is that? Because he knows that there's more to be done. He remains familiar with and fixed on and faithful to the purpose that he's been given by his Father in heaven. So he remains familiar with, fixed on, and faithful to the purpose that he's been given by his Father in heaven. And in Mark 1.15, he says that his role is to share the good news that the kingdom of God is here. And what does that mean? Well, it means that he's looking out at the people and he's saying, here I am. I have come. I am the one who's here to heal you, to restore you. I'm here to mend your broken heart. I'm here to set you free from the things that have held you bound. Your saviour is here. You don't need to look any further. The disciples want to stay, but Jesus wants to go. The disciples want Jesus to go back, but Jesus is ready to go on. Jesus is modelling something for us here. He knew that his purpose was to share the good news of the kingdom of God. And the, the disciples, they didn't yet see it. They didn't set, yet see fully why he'd come. They just saw like what he'd done and they thought, well, surely this is what he's here to do. But Jesus knew there was more because Jesus was looking beyond Capernaum to the whole of Galilee. And then Jesus was looking beyond the whole of Galilee to Jerusalem. And then Jesus was looking beyond Jerusalem to the Garden of Gethsemane where he prayed. And then he's looking beyond Gethsemane to Golgotha, to the place where he was crucified. And then he's looking beyond Golgotha, the place where he was crucified, to an empty tomb. So that moment of resurrection, when he knew that he would die on the cross and he would be raised into life and the powers of sin and death would be utterly defeated. When Jesus came into the world to preach the good news that he'd come to rescue the world from its sin and darkness and ultimately death. And he knew his purpose because it had been revealed to him by his father. It had been revealed to him by his father. And he remained true to his purpose because he connected regularly with his Father. It's in our quiet times with God when no one else's voice is really loud. <clears throat> when we finally manage to put down the to-do list. I find it really hard sometimes like when you're really busy to just put down the to-do list. But when you finally put it down and then you hear his voice... And when I'm talking about hearing his voice, I'm not talking about a big booming voice that's like, Sarah. that was my best God voice. I just celebrate that for a moment. <laughs> it's not like that. Often it's just a quiet voice, just a peace, his presence with us. And so I think there's space for us to ask again this morning, you know, to go into that place and just ask Jesus, what do you have for me in this next phase of life? You know, many of us will be at points of transition. Jesus, what do you have for me? Where do you want me to go? Who are the people you want me to spend my time with? You know, the quiet for him to reveal his purpose. And I just want to say that in that, there is not one person here that doesn't have purpose in the kingdom of God. And you can offer me a 100,000 reasons as to why you'd be disqualified, and I'll tell you that it doesn't matter. Because Jesus redeemed each one of us to have a place in his kingdom. 
And so each person here has their part to play in sharing the good news of Jesus with the world. Every single person. If I could go up to every single one of you right now and look you in the eye and say, God has purpose for you. I'd do it. I'd do it if I could go around. Can I? No, I'm not going to try it. <laughs> but he does. Don't discount yourself because he doesn't. He's got a purpose for you in his kingdom and he has people that only you will be able to share the goodness of Jesus with because you are the person who's in their lives. You are the person who's connected with them. So if we're feeling unsure of what we're made for this morning, let's just take a moment. Take a moment in the next bit of worship. Take a moment at the end of the service. Take a moment when you go home and spend time one-on-one with Jesus and ask him, what do you make me for? going to finish up with this one last thing which is going to seem super obvious and maybe a little bit stupid but I'm going to go for it anyway the solitary place is about stepping back from the public and the pressures it's about stepping into the private and the personal it's about stepping, revealing our purpose for us and what God's made us for and it's also about a place okay it's about a place um, in Luke five sixteen, it says but Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed and we get told that, you know, he withdrew to mountainsides, he withdrew to solitary places, he withdrew to lonely places. The point was that he went to a place. You know, Moses met with God in the tent of meeting in Exodus 33. The priests of God in the Old Testament went into the secret place and met with God there. You know, places are important. In Matthew 6, we've already read it. Jesus says, go into your room and pray. We have to find the place. Um, this last week, I spent some time in our church prayer room. All these quotes we're gonna find, they were gonna pop up on the screen magically, but they're not going to now. But I just looked at the guest book that was in there. We have a room at our Gilcomston Park site that's just set aside for prayer. You can just book a slot in there. You can go pray your little heart out for however long the slots are, um, it's hour long slots that you can book. You can book three slots. You can book four slots. You can book ten slots. Whatever you feel like, it's there for you to use. And I would really, really encourage you to do that. Um, but a couple of things that people wrote in the guest book about being in the prayer room. Uh, this is a place, a sanctuary of peace to meet with God. A place where burdens can be lifted. A peaceful place. An oasis in the midst of life. Somewhere to come and rest. And I feel like this last one kind of sums up perfectly. God is here. There's nothing fancy about this room. It doesn't have like this spiritual dome over it, you know, where like it blocks out the rest of life or the rest of the world. But it's a room that has a purpose. And so like it's set aside for prayer. And when people go there, they know what they're going to be doing. They're going to be sitting in time on their own with the Lord. So there's an intention behind it as well. And I just think for us this morning, there's a challenge. Where's that place for us? For me, it's our back room at home, mainly because it's the part of our house that has the least amount of clutter. And so I'm like, you know, the least tempted to tidy up when I'm in that room. Um, I cannot spend time in my room because I sit on my bed and then I just immediately want to sleep. So I know that that doesn't work for me. You know, maybe for you, it's like you try and do it in your room, but then you have your desk and you've got your uni stuff spread out. And as you're trying to pray, you're also thinking about that essay that's sitting on that desk. Or maybe your laptop's open and you've got the latest box set playing. You know, whatever it is. But we need to find a place that takes us out or where we can push the distractions out. Um, For me, this thing, 
I have to put it on flight mode or I have to leave it in a completely separate part of the house um, when I'm spending time with God because this thing connects you to hundreds of people with the flick of a button. <laughs> it's not helpful for the time of the solitary place with God. Maybe you're like me or maybe you're all way more holy and don't struggle with that at all. But just my final question this morning is just where's your spot? Where's your spot? Where do you go for your solitary place? And if you haven't got a place, find one. Doesn't have to be in a room, or well, it doesn't have to be in a room. Doesn't have to be in a house. Could be outside, but just find it and then make time to be there. Because we have to protect it. We have to find that place and then protect it. Okay, let's stand.